When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house in which they were sitting. If you guys are able and you feel led, please stay standing while I pray. But if you're able and feel led, the, the Spirit was just putting on my heart. I'm going to get on my knees. If you can and would like to, um, you can get on your knees as I pray. Oh, Father, I just thank you and praise you for who you are. We come before you the only way we can through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed on a cross we deserved. But he didn't stay there. He rose again, and he stands right now at the right hand of God and makes intercession on our behalf. That's grace. I thank you and I praise you for that. We confess as your people um, that we are often forgetful, that we are often fearful, that we are always, all of us, all the time, in desperate need of your grace, and we thank you that you're a God who lavishes it upon us. Lord, I, I thank you that we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, I thank you that you have sent your spirit as a pledge of the inheritance that is awaiting us. Father, as we've been praying this morning and will continue to pray this week and in the weeks to come, I pray that you would just continue to fill us to overflowing with your spirit. That you would anoint our very lives so that we would be glory revealers. We cannot do that on our own. It is not some orchestrated, man-made thing that is going to bring revival. It is when we are on our faces before a holy God and we see you move in love and grace and power that revival will come to our hearts and your church and this nation. Lord, I do pray right now for churches that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the globe. Lord, and I pray right now for our country. I do pray for the leadership of this country. I pray for peace to come right now and, and all of this racial divide. And, and Lord, the only thing that's going to fix it is, is when everybody who's going to be saved gets saved. In your kingdom, there will be no more division. We look forward to that day, but until that day comes, oh Lord, I pray that you would use us to be people of peace to bring peace. Father God, I pray now that as we continue to worship you in your word, you would open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your truth, that what we do not yet know, you would teach us. What we cannot see yet, you would show us. And that what we are not yet, you would make us in these next few moments. All for your glory, by the power of your spirit. And for the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat if you can get up. Um. Oh, it's good to be back with God's people. I didn't... I didn't really know... Um, 
just how much I missed this. I got tastes of it as we had people in our home over the last few Sundays and um, gathered in different ways, but um, it is good to be with God's people. And, and we need that reminder. We do. We were talking with some people last night and just talking about how in this time that we've been away for these 11 weeks, and not just our church, but the church, um, the enemy is so good at getting us satiated with other things. And we can so quickly just get satisfied with dabbling with the things of God instead of recognizing that we, like, like it's almost like like, we haven't tasted it in so long, you forgot how good it tasted. Right? You, you went, oh yeah, I, I miss church, but I don't really miss church. Because we'd almost forgotten. So thank you guys for being here today, and thank this place for giving us this facility, and, and thank you, Lord, for just who you are and what you're doing in our midst. The plan, just so you know, is for us to spend the next three weeks, Lord willing, just kind of worshiping our way through Acts chapters 2 and, or two and 4. In God's providence, I actually taught on Acts chapter 3 for Resurrection Sunday, which was seven weeks ago. And from that Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, till now, we have been doing what they were probably doing. From the time he rose again to the time he sent his spirit on Pentecost, which is today, they were seeking their Savior. And we've spent that time in these seven weeks just in this series that we were calling, I Still Am. And we were just being reminded of all that is good and powerful about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And now we're going to go into this series that we're calling, Here I Am, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to look at three things over the next three weeks, Lord willing. We're going to look today at the power within you. Next week we're going to look at the, his presence among you. And then we're going to look at how we are to proclaim him. He is to be proclaimed through you. But today's message is, here I am, the power within you. And the passage we're going to start in is in Acts chapter 1. So open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. It's your fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you get to Roman or those other letters, you've gone too far. It's Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start actually in Acts 1, but we're going to spend most of our time in Acts Two today. But the question I'm going to ask today is, how are you to live in the power of His Holy Spirit? How are you to live day by day, moment by moment, in the power of His Holy Spirit? And our path through the passage, so just so you know where we're going, there are connecting points on your table if you need one. It's got the outline for you to take notes and, and jot down things that maybe to help you jog your memory for what we talked about today. We're going to talk about living ready to receive Him unashamed of the difference he makes in our life, and fearless, knowing he has sealed your eternity. But before we can get to the power coming, which is in Acts chapter 2, we need to see how he came. How did they get to that place in Acts chapter 2, and how do we get to that place? So in Acts chapter 1, I'm going to start in verses 1 through 8. Acts was written by Luke, the same writer of the Gospel of Luke, who traveled with Paul, and he says this, the first account I composed Theophilus, that's he's talking about his gospel that he wrote, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after much suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days 
and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard of from me. Because if you remember in John 14, 15, and 16, before he goes to the cross, he's telling his disciples, the Holy Spirit's coming. You just got to wait for it. But I got to go to the cross first. They didn't have a clue. He goes on and he says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Guys, they didn't know what he meant, even at this point. When, when Acts 2 showed up, like when, when the Holy Spirit showed up in Acts 2, I promise you they were a little freaked out. But here's the thing. I'm not sure we get it either. Like, I don't know that we really get what it means to see the Holy Spirit show up in power. And hopefully today we just are getting a taste of it. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to, be, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest parts of the earth. So this is right before, and then Jesus ascends. And then we'll get to Acts 2 in just a minute. But guys, it's in this moment that he's saying, this is, what's, this is, the, this is how the mission is going to go forward. What I am going to do in the world from the time I leave you until I come again to establish my kingdom is through you people in the power of my spirit. And they had no idea what he was talking about. What is he saying? The power, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us. What does that mean? Well, let me just, we, we've taught on the Holy Spirit a lot here. There's a whole section on it in the toolkit. There's no second baptism. Like there's, you, when, you are, when you come to faith in Christ and he has sealed you, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. But there are degrees of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. There are times in our lives where we are really in step with the Spirit. And when it's, it's, what Paul, it's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, how, how can you grieve the Holy Spirit? If he's in you, he's in you. He's in you and he's in you, but he only walks in power through you to the extent that you walk in obedience to him. So when Paul's saying, don't, don't be grieved, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, it's his way of saying, don't, if, if, if the Holy Spirit is like one of these air things up here that's flowing, like, because remember the Holy Spirit is the same word for in Hebrew as, bre as breath and wind. So imagine just this wind moving through us, Right? But what, what Paul is saying when he says don't grieve the Holy Spirit is he's saying don't take this airflow vent and shove it into a tiny little pipeline by living in sin. He's like, let the Spirit move. So there are times, it's, it's why in Galatians Paul spends all this time, I mean most of Galatians chapter 5 is what? Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the Spirit? When we are walking in the Spirit, that is when we're in the power of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The deeds of the flesh are dug. That's the difference. Right? But, but we have to get this idea that, that although we, only, we get saved and sealed one time, there is 
this inflow and outflow of the Spirit's presence in our lives. And that's true individually, and it's true corporately. And what we're begging God for over these last seven weeks, first in my own heart, in our hearts individually, as families and as the family of family and the family of God, is that His Spirit would overwhelm us in His power. That we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. That we would not walk in the deeds of the flesh. But that we would walk in the power of the Spirit. That's ultimately what He's talking about here. And then He says, well, go to, go to chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to skip to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house of the Lord in which they were sitting. And we've talked, I mean, just about everybody who's come up here to speak or has been singing or something has, has shared that passage. That's what we're praying for. The sound of that wind in those, that's what we're praying will happen here in this place. It's not something we conjure up. It starts with confession, right? All revival starts with confession, with laying our junk before the Lord because we know he's safe. When you walk up here to put your card on the cross, you don't need to be ashamed of that. He's not. You have not disappointed Jesus. I promise you. I don't care what the last 11 weeks have been like for you. You have not disappointed Christ. Why? Because he doesn't expect anything from us. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he went to the cross for us. Now, what he does desire that we do is live a spirit-filled, spirit-directed life. So the question is, are you walking your life out every day? Am I walking my life out every day seeking his direction? What Scott prayed during our prayer time was just so powerful in this idea of, like, our, like as we're just going along, somebody else prayed too, like just wherever we are, that's where we're sent. So when you walk into your place of work, when you walk into the gym to work out, when you walk into a store, are you praying, Holy Spirit, show me an anointed time? How about when you know you have to have intense fellowship with your spouse over something? Right? When, when you know there's friction there and there's just something we got to talk about. When you know you've got to talk to one of your kids that is just acting in rebellion or is just struggling with something, do you pray I mean, right to, up to, through, and during the time. Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. Like when I'm counseling people, I mean, my, I'm having two conversations in my brain. If, if, I don't want to oversell it. If I'm Doug, if I'm walking in the power of Doug, I'm having one conversation, and this brother just needs to know how to get right, and I'm the one that's going to tell him. But when I'm walking in the power of the Spirit, you know what half my brain is doing? Listening and conversing, and the other half of my brain is going, Holy Spirit, tell me what words I need to speak life into this brother's heart. Right? Are, are we living that way? Day by day, are we living that way? That's what Pentecost brought us. The ability, prior to that, we could not do that. Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. The Holy Spirit was upon David, King David in the Bible, Old Testament. But he could be removed from David. And for many people in the Old Testament, the Spirit was removed. Saul, the king before David, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then God said, you're done, Saul. And he removed his Spirit. No more. 
Why? Because for us, it isn't about what we do. It's about what Christ did. And that's the cool thing about Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost is just 50. It's just the time. And, and guys, Pentecost is not a New Testament deal. The reason they were all together at Pentecost is because Pentecost was one of the feasts of Israel. There are seven feasts in, in, in Israel, and all of them speak to Christ. Three of them speak to his first coming. Three of them speak to when he'll come again. And one of them, Pentecost, speaks to the church age that we're in right now. That should tell us that the promise of the Holy Spirit, that they didn't even know what it was going to look like, but we can get a glimpse of it now looking at what, what, what happened there. We are what he's doing in the world. I, I, by the way, I'm loving moving around. This is awesome. <laughs> Mark's not loving it, but I'm loving moving around. But guys, the first three feasts, which are Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, right? They were accomplished in Christ's first coming, his death, burial, and resurrection, and they speak of planting. His, the last three feasts that are trumpets, atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles are about Christ's second coming, when he comes to establish his kingdom. The feast in the middle that was called the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, is about a season of growth. So there's planting, growth, and reaping. And the reaping is coming. Guys, we look around and we go, that's why it's so important for us to live spirit-filled lives. To make the most of this time because the days are evil is what the Bible tells us. That doesn't mean run for the hills. It means Double down on your effort to share the gospel with people. Because when the harvest comes, when the, when the next set of three feasts starts, the time is up. Right? Jesus said, but we, it shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said we're going to live in this season. That the church age is going to be a season of wheat and tares. And I'll get, there, I'll get back there in just a minute. But, but we're going to go to a table talk question here in just a second. But before we do... I, this is what. This is why. Well, okay. What's all the? Big, who cares about Pentecost feasts? Whatever. Here's here's where our hope is, guys. Because Christ perfectly fulfilled the first three feasts, and He has given us the Holy Spirit in this in the fourth feast, we can be completely confident He is going to perfectly fulfill the last three. That's where our hope is. Right? No matter what, the world is, what in the world's going on, our hope is that he is going to finish what he started. Jesus is not a quitter. He's just not. He didn't go to all this trouble to just go, yeah, I'm done. See you guys. He's coming again. And he's left us here to participate in what he's doing in the world. So look at your table talk question. I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk at your tables. And if, and if you need to double up tables or whatever, I just, whatever, make it messy. I don't care. It's good. But on the back of your connecting points, there's a table talk question. It's on the screen as well. And it says this, Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks is the closing of the planting season. When the plants were evaluated for potential fruit in the season of reaping that was ahead. So how is your season of sowing going? 
What does the potential fruit look like in your life? How has this unique time we have been in been used by his witness, to, to be his witness? What relationships have you formed? I know there's a lot of different questions there. Here's what they all summarize. How have you seen God working in relationships in the last 11 weeks? Go. Okay, do I have anybody that would like to volunteer to something that was shared at their table about how relationships... Like how they've seen relationships being used in this time. Emma would like to share. Do I need to stand up? Um, sure. I was just saying, like, we have something in common with people to talk about now. Like, if you work, like, I work at a juice bar or whatever, so now people come in and I can, I can have, like, really long and, like, really good conversations with them. Whereas before, like, I knew nothing about them, so it was harder to have a now we can interact more with other people and it's a really good conversation starter. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, did you? So she basically said that, that there's like a commonality. It almost has allowed like a, a leveling, I, I, this isn't the word she used, but like a leveling of the playing field. Like everybody's experiencing at least one thing very similarly. So there's a commonality that allows you to enter into some conversation, um, which is good. That's awesome. And then turning that to like, and here's how I'm handling it which was kind of what they talked about, um, David and Shannon were talking about here, to be able to turn it to, oh, by the way, and, and in the way I'm not losing my mind through this is I know Jesus. Um, uh, one more, and then we'll move on to the next thing. Apparently Mark's getting, getting voluntold. Uh, I didn't, your wife did this to you, Mark, just so you know. We talked about just uh, how relationships have been uh, more prioritized, where I think not just in the church body, but I think just around with everyone, it's like, oh, you know what? I finally have enough time to watch Netflix, and that's not really as fulfilling as getting together with a brother or sister. Mm. And it's just, it's weeded out kind of like garbage, and even some of like the garbage relationships that we may have had and prioritized the better relationships that we should be investing in and where God is actually moving, joining him in that. Good, so I'm not sure how, how could you, could you, like you in the back, Sean, could you hear anything he said? Okay, so we'll work, we'll work on that for next week, but... Um, so basically what he said was that it, allowed, it gave them an opportunity and, and sort of showed them the need to prioritize relationship. Like one, how they were spending their time, who they were spending their time with, but also um, just seeing where God was moving and entering into those relationships and maybe not having so many like time wasters, just filler sort of stuff, which I've heard a lot of that as well um, throughout this time and, and, and experienced it in our own lives too. Um, awesome. So, so the question we're looking at is how can we live in the power of his Holy Spirit Right, the first thing was we have to be ready to receive him. Are we walking around in life? If you get nothing else out of what we talked about so far, just get the, Are you walking around ready to receive what he has for you today? Right? Are, are you, I mean, when Jesus looked at them and said, you will receive my Holy Spirit and come upon me and he'll come upon you in power, they needed to be ready for that. Flash forward to chapter two in Acts, they're at Pentecost, they're waiting to receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit shows up. That, that can be in a big moment, your salvific moment, but it can also be in your moment of walking into sprouts. 
Are you, are you walking in there ready to receive what, he, what the Holy Spirit has for you today? The second thing is you have to be unashamed, because here's the second piece of that. You have to be unashamed of the difference he makes in your life. Like for us to walk in the power of the Spirit, we have to stop caring so much about what other people think. Right? That's what keeps us, like, um, I always try to think of a nicer word to say it, um, le less effective, I guess, um, is better than the word I would normally use, um, as Christians, myself included. Like, what is this person going to think? Are they going to think I'm too pushy? Are they going to think, what, are they going to weird? Um, if you walk up to somebody and just say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to pray for you right now, how can I pray? Right? Like, like that, I mean, that was I mean, Sean Valentine with me at the gym, whenever that was, but, you know, just walking up going, hey, the Holy Spirit just told me to pray, so what are we praying for? Okay, the guys next to us were like, wow. And it was okay. It was like, awesome. Praise the Lord. Great testimony. Um, so, let's pick it up in Acts. We're going to pick it back up in Acts 2-1. Again, just because it kind of gets the ball going. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came this heaven, the, from heaven a noise like the violent rushing wind, and it filled the house of the Lord. They were sitting in, and there appeared to them tongues of fire as, dis as distributed distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. That, and we'll see here in just a minute that word, the other tongues was actually known languages, and as the Spirit gives utterance, was actually speaking what the Holy Spirit was telling them to say. So, so it, it was, but, but guys, before we get to like the details of that, I understand this moment, Pentecost, was not unique even in the, among God's people. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses is on the mountain. Guess when Moses is on the mountain receiving the word from the Lord? 50 days after they crossed the Red Sea. If you, if you know anything about, you know, the, 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 he leads his people through the Red Sea crossing. The Red Sea crossing is a picture of deliverance from sin. It's the picture of God delivering them. It is, the, it is an Old Testament imagery of the cross. It is, this is how I saved you. Fifty days later, just like these people in the upper room, fifty days later, here's what Moses has happened to him. Now, on Mount Sinai, there was smoke because the Lord descended upon him in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently, and when the sound of the great trumpet blew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Does that not sound like what they experienced at Pentecost? The fire fell on them. They hear the sound of this, like, rushing wind, thunder. God's, God's unchanging, right? He has always worked this way. Now look at verse 4. He says, when he says, other, well, let me, I'll just, I, I'll keep going to verse 5. He says, this is, what, this is what verse 4 is talking about. Other languages and giving utterance. It says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So Jews, at this point, they're not talking about the, the, the nation of Israel. They're talking about people who had converted to Judaism. And it says, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. So it was loud enough to be noticed, kind of like on Mount Sinai. And they were built bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So get what's happening here. There are people from all over the known world at that point who don't speak the same language. There was not a common language then. And all of a sudden, they can hear what these people are saying in their native tongue. And it says, they were amazed and astonished and saying, 
were not all these people speaking Galileans? In other words, they're saying, weren't they all from Israel? Shouldn't they all be speaking Hebrew or Aramaic? And then he says, well, how then is it that each of them are hearing their own language to, to whichever language they were born? Parthenians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phygia and, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, verse 11, Cretans and Arabs. Guys, he's saying, we're all hearing what they're saying in our own language. It is like the United Nations on steroids. Like seriously, I mean the Holy Spirit is like the, is the United Nations translator, but he's better in every sense of the word, partially because he tells them what to see. Not only does he translate what they're saying but from the time it leaves their mouth till it gets into the ear of the hearer, but he tells them the words to say. Wouldn't that be nice if he did that today for our government and the United Nations? Not just translate, but tell them, here's what you really need to be saying. But guys, understand what's the point. If you, if you, keep, if you keep going, and, they, were, and they, were continue, they continued in amazement and with great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? There's the point of why that whole language thing even happened. God is getting their attention. And then when that happens, look what always, what always happens when you're living boldly for the gospel. But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine, which is a nice way of saying they were drunk. Guys, when you're living out there for the gospel, you're going to get mocked. But, what, but, but I, wanna, I just want to, everybody, I think we all know that. Okay, we say, yeah, that's true. What, what's this whole, what's, what was the point of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in such power that they, now can tra they can now speak languages that they didn't even know? What was the point of that? The point of that was to point people to Jesus. The point of that was to, was to proclaim the gospel. That's, the, that's what the Holy Spirit does. For us, to live in, for us to say we're walking in the power of the Spirit, but what we say He's walking us into is doing nothing to promote and proclaim Christ and His gospel is not walking in the power of the Spirit. Because the, the whole, what the Holy Spirit does, this is why He came, is to point to Christ. That's it. So if what we're doing in His power is not pointing people to Jesus Christ, it's not His power we're doing it in. And sadly, too often, we will give him credit for things that are not really something he would want to get credit for. Guys, he comes to reveal the glory of God, period. But we, for us to live that way, have to stop being afraid of him. Right? Unfortunately, like in our circles, we tend to be a little uptight about the Holy Spirit. You know, I mean, even, even when we started praying for revival a year ago in March... People, some people got uneasy and some left. When we started praying for healing, people, which we've always done, by the way, so it's so weird that people wondered why that was a new thing. So we've always prayed and anointed people. The elders have always gathered around people and anointed them with oil and prayed over them. But we had people get nervous and leave. Why? Because, because there is something about the Holy Spirit because of the, the and I'm just going to use this term in air quotes, charismaniac movement that, that in some circles got a little over-realized that made people in sort of the word-centered people get way too far from the Holy Spirit. We can't, guys, Jesus himself said, it is to your advantage that I go away. What's that about? If the Holy Spirit isn't something we're supposed to embrace, then Jesus is lying when he says, guys, it is to your advantage that I go, that I go away because I'll send the Holy Spirit. Paul himself 
He says, guys, on the day that you heard the gospel, you were sealed by what? The Holy Spirit, which is what? He tell, it's Ephesians 1. It's a pledge of the promise of your inheritance that is set up for you in heaven. Guys, do you get what he's saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a taste of how, we can, we're, how we're gonna live in the kingdom forever. When we're walking in the power of the Spirit, we are tasting the kingdom. That's part of why the church gathered is, has been just, I've, I've missed it so much in my soul because this right now is as close to heaven as we're gonna get on this planet. I, and, and you people are a mess. And so am I. And yet, God's people gathered are as close to the taste of heaven as we're ever going to get on this side of eternity. Table talk question. Take a look at it. It says, it's the last one we have. It says, what's the difference, or what difference is the presence of the Holy Spirit making in your life and or the life of your family? How have you seen him work? How have you felt his power? In what ways has he brought you hope? How can you be used by him to bring eternal healing to the souls of those around you? So, lots of questions there. You could focus on one or all of them, but really the, the bottom line is, how has the Holy Spirit been made manifest in your life and the life of your family over the last 11 weeks? I'd love to hear a story. Go. Okay, so if you would, um, just in the interest of time, kind of wrap up your conversation. Um, who would like to, nice and loud, share a story? Anyone? Come on, someone. Thank you, Mr. Dawkins. So, for our table, okay, we talked about how everybody around us is angry all the time now. Me, especially, I'm angry. And I made a comment that some people just need to be punched in the face. Like, you know, that's, um, if, if nothing else, the last 11 weeks or 12 weeks or, you know, and, and, you know, whatever is, it is testing our, do we believe God is sovereign or don't we? Right? Like, I've been asking myself that question. All day. If, if I believe God is sovereign, then all of the things that I quickly get angry about, I need to be able to go, I need to give to him and go, okay, God, what is it you're using this for? In my life, in my family's life, and you know, whatever it is, because, um, because he is still in control. He is not up in heaven going, I did not see COVID-19 happening, right? He did, he knew, and he knows, and that's what we have to rest in. So today we're looking at how do we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? So first it was ready to receive him. Second, it was unashamed of, at the difference he makes because, because like I said a minute ago, Jesus told us that we live in this season of wheat and tares, and what did he tell his disciples when they were like, when he tells that, when he tells that parable, he's like, should we go rip all the weeds out? What does he say? No, let them grow up together because as they grow up together, you're going to see it will become, because if you rip them out now, you're going to rip out some of the weed. But as they grow, it's going to become really evident who the wheat really is. That's the season we're in. 
Jesus is letting it become evident who the wheat really is. But then he also says, when the harvest comes, those last three feasts, it is not going to go well for the tares. Right? They are going to be bundled up and thrown in the fire. So the question for us becomes, are we living, is our heart broken for those people that are going that are, that are to end up in the fire? Are we living to see as few of them as possible saved from the fire? And to do that, our last point, we have to live fearlessly knowing that our eternity that is already sealed. Like it's, all, it's, what, it's what Jeff, it's what we've just been talking about the whole time is we already know the kingdom is coming. So, so we don't need to be afraid. Even in a world that is, that is fearful sometimes, frankly. So we need to live fearless knowing he has sealed our eternity. Look at, verses, look at verse 14. I love this scene. It says, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, wouldn't you know it was Peter, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all who are in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Now, you know, maybe you, if you did the day's reading, you know what he talks about. If you didn't, but, but before I read to you his sermon, his message, I want you to remember something. This is Peter. This is the Peter who 50 days before, 51 days before, did what? Used interesting, colorful language to say, I don't even know Christ. He was so afraid. He's now standing in front of those very same people. And, and instead of cowering, he could have shoved John up there. He could have, you know, he could have shoved Bartholomew up there and gone, nobody knows who you are anyway, just go. Right? And instead, he's like, all right, here we go. And in front of those exact same people, he preaches the gospel. But Peter taking his stand in verse 16 says this. Or he says, but this, this was, well, I'll start in 15. For, the, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. So it's early in the day. I'm not sure why that matters. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And here's what I love about this. God, Peter is going to use God's story, Joel, an Old Testament prophet, to tell the story of the gospel. God has only ever been telling one story. He's not making up new material here. Right? He's going to preach the gospel from the Old Testament because the Old Testament is all about the gospel. He says, And it shall be in the last days that they will pour forth my spirit on mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and young men will shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on the bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Guys, understand this. The crucifixion was no accident. What they experienced 50 days before this was not, was, in, was on purpose in God's economy. Because he was going to fulfill those first three feasts. He was going to have us fulfill the fourth right now. And he's going to come back and finish the job. And we need to remember that. And then he moves on and he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, that, oh, by the way, I'm going to give to the church, 
to do as well. That's what he just talked about. God, through, which God performed through him in our midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, no accident, you nailed him to a cross at the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held by his power, by its power. Guys, bottom line, and we're going to go into communion with this, which is something I have so missed, not being able to take communion as God's people gather. Guys, he rose again. And that, that, the fact that he rose again proved two things. One, it proved that the price of sin had been paid. Because if the cross were not sufficient, Christ would still be in a hole in the ground. But the fact that God raised him from the dead, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, is literally living proof that the sacrifice was sufficient to, to appease all of the wrath that was placed upon him on the cross. And the second thing it did, so one, it proved that the, price, the cost was sufficient. The second thing it did is because he rose, it proves we will too. And guys, communion is a lot of things. Communion is a time of reflection. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of um, just like self, like assessing how you're doing. It's, and it's all right to be those things. But today, here's what I would say. Make, make communion not just a celebration of, of the forgiveness we have, but, and, and looking back at what happened on the cross, but make it a celebration of what is to come. Right? Communion is both. Communion is a remembrance of the cross and it's the promise of him to come. How do I know that? Because when Jesus is in, initiates communion at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, do you remember what he says? Before he even gets to, this is the blood, take this cup. Before he says, this is my body, take and eat. Do you remember what he says? They're having the Passover meal together. And he says to them, I am not going to come again and enjoy this meal with you until it is established in the kingdom in full. And then he says, and then they're, they're drinking one of the, and he says, I'm not going to take of this juice, fruit of the vine again until, the, until I come again and the kingdom is fully realized. They had no idea what he was talking about. But then he says, so now take this cup, now take this bread, and every time you do, proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That's the point of communion. That's what we are celebrating now. So we're, gonna, we're celebrating, yes, it is finished on the cross, and yes, his kingdom is coming. And that's where our hope is. That's the only place we can put it. The, the way we are going to do communion right now is going to be a glorious mess. And that's okay. So before I pray for it, I just want to, so here's, here, so there's a table over here, and there'll be a couple over there that'll be, that will pray with you if you would like prayer. There's a table over here, and there'll be a couple over there that if you would like to just pray like we, like we often do if you've been part of our family, the communion is not in a bowl. With, it's in two cups that are stacked one on top of each other that were put together by people that were wearing gloves and masks and everything is good to go, so we're we're fine there. What you will do is, if you're at one of those stations, is take the cups and, and we'll lead you through, the couples will lead you through how, how to take the elements. If, if you would rather not do that, like you don't, like right now you're just kind of in that space of like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'm, I, I, need to, I need to be just me and the Lord. 
there's a cup, there's a table in the back that has just the elements. And there won't be a couple back there to pray with you. So we're trying to provide space, like literally and figuratively, for you to engage with the communion with Christ however you want. During that time, the music team's going to play some music. Um, we'll finish with, with praise. Um, but just so you know, like that's there, there, and there. Got it? But let me reiterate what the whole point is. Remembering the cross, celebrating the victory. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for... Um, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this sweet time of fellowship. I thank you for the reminder of what it means to live power, spirit-filled, power-filled lives. I, I thank you, too, for the, what it took for that to happen. Lord, may we not diminish the sacrifice, because without the sacrifice of you on the cross that communion invites us into, there would be no coming of the Holy Spirit. The only way we have the pledge of our inheritance that is to come in the fulfillment of the kingdom that you promise is if your payment was sufficient. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you that, that in the garden on that day when you said, not my will, but your will be done, the fight was won. And I thank you too that you have promised that you're going to come to get us. You said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to come back and get you. So we celebrate that now, even as we enter into this time of just communing with you and one another. Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.